All right, good morning. All right, we are working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We are now in chapter 3. And uh, just uh, want you to know, I, um, I was told by uh, Paula this morning, if she's going to hate me saying this, but she says I cannot drink coffee anymore uh, the, in the mornings because her hands get tired. And um, I, uh, I talk a little too fast, I know. I, just by the way, this has been a 20-year problem for me. Just want to let you know that. It's not something new. Um, when I first started preaching, uh, which I always say, bless their heart the, for listening to me during those really rough years. My wife has been through all of it. But um, I uh, was in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, a lady, her, a sweet lady named Aunt Eunice would always sit in the front, and I would actually have post-it notes all over the pulpit that said, slow down, slow down, slow down. And Eunice would sit, sit down there, and she always, uh, she'd always tell me, she's like, well, if you see my head do this, that means slow down. And the whole, the whole service, she's like... So, I'm sorry. It's just I have a lot of energy, and uh, I probably should not drink coffee in the morning before this, but Paul, I drink coffee. I'm sorry. All right, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9 this morning. The title is The Pilgrim's Slow Progress. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Uh, it is exciting, and it is fun, and uh, there's so many things to discover, so many things to see and know. I pray, God, that... Um, God, you would just give us an appetite uh, for you and your word. You would give us a desire um, deep down inside. That God, we would want to hear from you. We'd want to know you. Um, and God, you would guide us this morning by your spirit uh, to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, uh, Bunyan wrote a book back in 1678, which has become the, uh, the second most published book in the history of the world outside of the Bible. And you may be familiar with this book. It is called Pilgrim's progress. Uh, it is, a, is an allegory of uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, the, the story begins with the main character. His name is Christian, and he begins uh, and resolves to flee his hometown from the city um, of destruction and make his way to celestial city, right? And so the whole book kind of takes place between those two kind of main locations. And every character in every place uh, that Christian encounters is either an aid uh, to or an obstacle in the progression of his growth uh, with Jesus. He has his ups and he has his downs. He has his victories and he has his defeats. But the point is that he makes progress, hence Pilgrim's Progress. And that, that's the story of everyone who has truly put their faith uh, and trust in Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, God places with inside of you, and we looked at this last week, and we'll look at it more in 1 Corinthians in the coming weeks. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God goes and lives inside of us. And, uh, and what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit turns those lights on, right? He, he makes us alive, and uh, we call this regeneration. Um, we become alive in Christ. And then, uh, and then he sets us on a path uh, towards becoming more and more like Jesus. And we call this in theology sanctification. It's the, the progress that we make. And finally... Uh, when we go to see Jesus face to face, when we die or he returns first, we, uh, we, we stand before him and we are then made like him completely. It's called glorification, right? So we have that kind of re, uh, re redemption or justification aspect, sanctification aspect, and then glorification aspect. If you're a Christian today, you are in that second stage, okay? You're in that middle. It's called sanctification. We're in that, we're in that, in that, in that spot and so, uh, and so we're all in that spot. We're all, hence we are in the pilgrim's kind of progress, right? We're in the, in the process of growing. And sometimes that progress can be fast. Sometimes that progress can be slow. 
Um, sometimes as we, as we think through that, that whole, th- whole time, uh, there's always progress though. Sometimes we may even think that there is a moment where we can reach kind of a, a plateau. We can start to cruise as it were and head maybe downhill and it's, it gets really easy. But the fact is, is that there's more hills to climb, right? There's more mountains to climb. There's more, there's more difficulty. There's more things in front of us. There's more work to be done in our walk with Jesus. Six years ago, um, I was, uh, we were vacationing as a family uh, in Colorado. We do this every summer. My wife's family all convene uh, for a week in, uh, in Colorado in kind of the Avon Vale kind of area. And I remember um, uh, this, uh, this time about six, six years ago, I, I visited the concierge, you know, at the, at the place we were staying, and I was asking her what's like the best, best spot to go hiking. Now, I know I do have a distaste for camping, but... That doesn't mean I don't enjoy being outside, all right? I love, I love being in God's creation. Uh, just give me a hotel room, you know, when the night's over. And, um, and I, so I, I, I found this spot, and I convinced the family uh, to go on this short, easy drive uh, to a place called uh, Piney Lake. And Piney Lake is, is uh, absolutely beautiful. You can see the pictures there. Uh, and I convinced them all that this would be a, a very short, uh, basic trip. It was absolutely beautiful. But the trip was anything but short, and easy. Uh, we basically we went um, off-roading in the old minivan, and, uh, and the family members, we took extended family members and their vehicles too, uh, they were not happy campers, which is the epitome again of, of well, of an oxymoron. Um, and, and I remember we're taking this trip, and like every turn, and I thought, what, okay, we're going we're gonna to reach a plateau, right? We're going to reach a flat spot. It's going to be smooth. And oh, no, every, every corner you go around, there's, there's more hills to climb, right? There's more boulders to dodge in the old minivan, right? There's more cliffs to hang off the side of in the minivan. Um, and so we're, we're doing all that. And I comp- constantly hear the, the statements, um, are we there yet? You know, uh, how much longer? And then my favorite uh, you sure this is the right route <laughs> to get there? Um, so finally, after like an hour, hour and a half, two, I mean, who was counting, right? I mean, we, who cares? We, we got there. We arrived there, and it, and it, was, it was absolutely beautiful, and it was worth it. Um, despite the length of the trip, despite the danger of the trip, um, it was worth it. At least I believed uh, so. I still haven't had them go back the last six years. No one wants to go with me. But we got there, you know, we got to see a moose, which was pretty cool, out in the wild, um, we got to, uh, to go hiking, which was a lot of fun there. And one of our favorite parts is we got to get a canoe and uh, go across this kind of natural lake element. So we get in the canoe, and they've grown up so much now. Look how little they are uh, in that picture. And so um, practically all teenagers now. And so, um, so we go across a canoe where we got the infamous line in our family that we tend to break up quite often um, from Calvin, which was, I can't feel my legs. You have to understand that upon arriving back to shoreline, he looks really happy. That's Calvin, my little buddy in the very front there. And uh, he's, uh, upon arriving, he realized his legs go numb from sitting in the middle of the canoe. And he panics. I mean, we're talking like this, I can't feel my legs thing was like, I can't feel my legs. And he's screaming. And everyone around is like, do we need to call 911? Like, has he lost his legs? Like, what's going on? Um, we still bring it up to today. It's, it's actually quite funny. So the point, though, is in, in that journey up to the top of that mountain is that, uh, is that we find in, in our Christian life, we're, we're always climbing uh, the mountain of maturity in Jesus, and there's always another hill to climb. There's always more boulders to dodge. Right? There's always more cliffs to hang off of at times, right? There's always work uh, to be done, but it's always worth it, right? It's always worth it. And so we find um, in our passage um, that, uh, that basically the, the Corinthians had, as it were, um, 
kind of set up camp, right? They almost set up camp. Uh, they're like taking a break. They're like, hey, we're done with this for a while. We're going to kind of just sit still. And, and it's like those, uh, a few months ago, there was this big um, article over the Mount Everest climbers. Did you hear about this? Where they, they tried to get to the top, and it was so many people on the mountain that they had to camp out and wait. They're waiting in line to get to the top of Mount Everest, and they can't even breathe. Um, but they were all waiting in line, right, to get up there. And it's just kind of like Paul coming to them and being like, okay, we got to move. Like, we got to keep going. We can't, we got to break camp. We got to put the backpack on, and we got to move. We got to keep moving. And that's really what he's finding in our, in our passage today, that Paul is going to tell them, hey, we've got to keep making progress. We've got to keep moving. You've slowed down. Now we need to speed up. We need to get moving. And so this is what we'll see today in this passage. We're going to find um, in, in this kind of hike, this journey that, uh, that he has us on, that God has us on, we're going to find in our passage the, what we call the mess of immaturity, kind of the problem of it and what, what goes on with it. We'll find the, the marks of immaturity, like how do we know if we're not maturing as fast as we should. And then lastly, we'll look at is the, kind of the medicine of maturity. immaturity. How do, we, how do we make progress? How do we get out of this kind of spot that we're in? All right, number one, the mess of immaturity. So, and this was truly a mess. If you've, if you've been reading along with us, if you've read ahead, uh, if you've never read 1 Corinthians and you've kind of moved ahead and read a little bit there, you find that there's some problems, right? There's some problems um, in this church. Uh, it is a mess. Uh, you see, churches are not programs. Churches are not buildings. Churches are people. That's what a church is. Church is a, is a people, and people are messy. And so, therefore, churches can be messy, right? You all come here with baggage. Uh, you, some of you come with carry-ons, right? And so, and we all come, and it all gets opened up. And there's this kind of a mess at times. And that's all part of living. We're broken, fallen people. We're sinners still, even as Christians. And we're here together as a family, and there's some, there's some trouble at times. And that's, that's kind of what's going on in this book. And so it's a messy place. It's a messy church. But, but Jesus still loves this church. Right? This is why the book was written. This is why we see chapter after chapter. He is encouraging them, challenging them, confronting them, right? Telling them to keep moving, keep going. And sadly, they, they either, uh, they've kind of slowed down. And so they either don't see that their progress has slowed down, or maybe they don't care. And so Paul says in verse 1, I, brothers, um, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So, so Paul has already laid out for us that there are, there are two types of people in the world. There are those, as he describes in chapter 2 here at the end of chapter 2, there are those who have the Spirit of God in them, those who are growing to become more and more like Jesus, all right? And then there's, there's those who are not Christians, who don't have the Holy Spirit, who are not growing to become more and more like Jesus. Um, so when you come to Jesus, he takes over your life. He, he starts to change things in your life. And that's the, that's the point that Paul makes here. It's a point that the, the book of James would make in chapter 2, um, that faith without works is dead. Like, if you have faith, there's going to be some, some difference that's going to be made, right? There's going to be some fruit that's going to be coming from your life. Works, deeds, obedience don't make you a Christian. This is really important, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me here. They don't make you a Christian, but they do flow out of being a Christian. There is change that begins to happen in your life. Now, some seem to think that this passage teaches something a little differently here, that maybe there's, a, there's a, a different categories of Christians. There's maybe like the varsity level Christians and the junior varsity Christians, okay? Um, and it's like kind of a third category of people. Uh, and they would call the kind of the JV Christians kind of the, the carnal Christians who said maybe they, maybe they said a prayer one time in their life, maybe they, maybe they walked an aisle or, 
you know, maybe they sang, you know, we love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, how about you? And, you know, they got all into that, and they were there, and then they just decided, no, I don't, and there's no change. There's no change in their life, there's no progress has been made, uh, they didn't submit to Jesus as Lord, they just said, oh, I'll just take this free gift, and that's awesome, and their life never changed, and that they're a Christian. And I'm here to tell you, and what the pastor is saying is that that's, that's not true. You can't be a Christian if your life hasn't been changed as a result of that. That's not what Paul is teaching at all, that somehow you can be a Christian and have no experience of change in your life. Do Christians still sin? Yes, that's definitely true. Can Christians sin big time? Yeah, they sure can. Um, will they make progress in their walk with Jesus? Will it vary in speed? Yeah, it'll vary in speed at times. It'll be fast, it'll be slow, but there always will be progress. Always progress will be made. When I first became a believer at 18, um, I, didn't, I didn't know much about the Bible. I told you this before. I didn't know much about it at all. Uh, I, I love Jesus. I knew that he died for my sin. Uh, I, I understood that. Um, and that's, that's about the depth of my theology at the time. And I remember about a, a year later, and I still hadn't read the whole Bible yet, didn't know everything, but I was, I was still um, learning. And about a year later, I'm at this camp, and I'm working as a counselor in this Christian camp, and there's this young guy, uh, he's a teenager, and he's in all kinds of trouble. And I realized I'm going to have to, I'm about to send him home. Like, I'm about to boot him out of camp because he just, he just won't, he just won't uh, kind of go with the flow here. He's, he's making it very difficult for everybody. And I, so I pulled him aside, and I was just really concerned. And I, I'm, again, I'm a new Christian, and I'm just talking to him going, hey, man, like, you grown up in church like what uh, what's the deal like you you say that you're a christian and yet like your life doesn't seem to add up and i'll never forget this as a new believer hearing this uh, and maybe you've heard this phrase maybe you've thought this before but this is what he said he was very blunt about it he looked at me and he goes he goes oh yeah 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 that that, that jesus thing i did that one time i was like what he goes yeah yeah jesus offered me this gift right of, of eternal life that's awesome i said thank you i took this is what he said i took that gift i put it in my back pocket and I said, uh, Jesus, I'm going to live like I want to, and when I die, I'm going to open this gift back up. And I remember looking at him going like, now, I've not read all the Bible yet, but I haven't seen that yet. Like, I don't know what, what is that? Like, what is that idea? And it's just this concept that somehow I can say a prayer or, or, or go to church at some point and kind of like have some kind of like, yeah, I like Jesus, and sure, yeah, he died for my sin, and then I can just go live how in the world I want to and act like I'm still a Christian or I ever was a Christian to begin with. And that's just not, not the case. Um, so we find there that this, um, and even you know, when, I, I know when I became a Christian, yeah, there was lots of, lots of things that, uh, that didn't change immediately. There's lots of things I didn't even know were wrong, right? I remember that as a, as a Christian. I still struggled, um, but my, my desire was to know Jesus. My desire was to love Jesus and obey Jesus, and that's what a Christian does, right? They, they make progress. They make progress. They desire Jesus more. They begin to look more and more like Jesus. They see the Gospels. They look at his life, and their life starts to resemble what, uh, who he was. But that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants the deal, you know, I'll do that prayer thing with Jesus, and then I'll live like I want to. Um, uh, and, that, and that's just not the case. It just doesn't happen. Um, you, can't, you can't meet Jesus and not change. Everyone who meets Jesus changes. Again, some faster than others, but it happens. As you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that the Corinthians had experienced change, and they were changing. Um, you find that they had the Spirit of God in them. You'll find that they had spiritual gifts from him. Uh, you'll find, starting in chapter 7, that they were asking some very good questions that Paul answers in this letter of uh, things they want to know. They want to know more about Jesus. They want to know more about obeying him and following him, and so they were asking good questions. And Paul even recorded this about their growth. Listen to this. This is kind of their testimony. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 11, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, 
uh, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, or, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's, here's what he says. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So clearly they, they were making progress, right? They were, they were moving. Things had radically changed in their life, and yet there were still some areas that would need to be shored up. They were still going slow. Their lives looked different than they did when they first came to Jesus, but Paul notes now that they have, they're growing a little bit slower. They're growing slower than they should. Um, so, that, you know, the question is, so have, have they become the, the, quote, carnal Christian? Well, if you define carnal as someone who is stubborn, then sure, yeah, that's, that's what they are. They're stubborn. But if you define uh, carnal as someone who, who can believe that Jesus is their Savior and not actually follow him and obey him, then no, that's not, not what he says at all. Um, so what does Paul mean by this people of the flesh term? Well, the word literally just means humanly, fleshly, right? Human-like. Uh, it's a person who has started to, to go with their Christian, they've, they're following Jesus, they're changing, and they've slowly started to resemble more of the culture than Jesus, right? They started to, to fit into the mold of the culture, um, sort of adopt things from it. Uh, it's a person who has uh, inverted kind of the, instead of, instead of taking their, their time, talent, treasure, and energy and point it towards Jesus, they've turned that back onto themselves. They've turned inward on themselves. Hence, there's a lot of uh, self-centeredness, a lot of self-indulgence, um, a lot of arrogant kind of self-sufficiency that's going on in their life. They feel like, oh yeah, we got this kind of thing. And this is why Paul basically calls them babies, big babies. It's almost like he calls them out. They're inf- your infants in Christ. He's calling them, he's calling them out on their immaturity. Uh, and you can, you can start to see why Paul got beat up a lot in the book of Acts, right? He's like calling them out as big babies. And uh, he says they're acting like a bunch of little kids, little toddlers, um, a baby, who acts like a baby is a joy. An adult who acts like a baby is a tragedy. A baby really doesn't do anything. If you consider that for a moment, a baby doesn't really contribute anything to the bottom line, right? They don't contribute anything. They just kind of lay there like little mini job of the huts. That's what I always call them. You know, they just kind of sit there and lay there um, and expect you to take care of all of their needs and then cry when they don't get them in a very prompt manner. Anybody understand this? Know what this is like? You get that? Um, and so they basically are no help at all. I mean, they're cute, and you can tolerate it for a little while, knowing that, you know, they'll grow out of that stage, and they'll mature, right? They'll grow up. But if you're an able-bodied adult, and you're laying there at home waiting for others to cook you food, change your sheets, and in the middle of the night, screaming out that you're hungry, that's not cute anymore, right? It's not cute at all. You, you should have made progress beyond that stage. I know some of you are like, I think that's my teenager. That's <laughs> what it sounds like. Um, but, you know, you should progress beyond that stage. I mean, it's kind of, it's very childish. Or it's even like a, like a puppy. I've got a, I've got Dodger. Dodger, our, our dog, he's about to turn two. And um, he, he uh, we, we are those people, right? We have a bell um, at every door that he can ding when he needs to go outside. I think a lot of times he dings it just to get attention. Uh, but, yeah, we're those people with the dog. Uh, but we're not cat people, which is always much better to be a dog person than a cat person. Um, just want to let you know that. Um, but, uh, but, but for Dodger, like, there's no length of belly rub that's never lo- it's ever long enough for him, right? It's never good enough. Uh, he literally, if you stop, will swipe at your hand with his paw. Like, no, 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 you're not done with me yet. You got to keep, keep going. And again, it's cute. It's tolerable because he's a puppy. Like, he's a little dog. But again, if that's a human being, you're like, okay, you, you, you need to make progress beyond. This world is not about, about you, right, and your, your, little, your little world there. 
And so this mess of immaturity of, uh, is everyone in the church is like, this is my world and you guys all just live in it. Can you imagine that? Everyone in the church is like, this is my world, this is my place, you all just live here to serve me, and the other person is doing the exact same thing. And there's all kinds of this just really childish kind of immaturity. They're behaving as little children. And so Paul says they need to repent and shore some things up. So the question is, have you, have you experienced, if you're here and you're claiming to be a Christian, have you experienced change? In your life, do you do you see areas of your life where where you are more like Jesus than you were before you became a Christian? What areas have you seen progress? What areas still need work? Uh, it's important. Don't let progress in one area be an excuse for a lack of progress in another area. You, you understand what I'm saying? You know, you go like, "Well, I'm really doing well at this one," and you let other things just kind of go because you really focus on this is I'm really good at this. We need to grow in every area. Um, Read the Gospels. Again, lay Jesus' life upon yours. See where you're lagging behind. And then ask the question. This is an important question to ask. Ask the question, what's the plan? What's the plan to mature? What's the plan to be more like Jesus? What, how am I going to get to that point? How am I going to shore up this area in my life? Just, again, waking, just waking up and taking in air is not a plan for change, okay? It'll just, it'll just happen. It's like you need to have a plan for change. So what's the plan? Identify the slowness, identify the slack, share with someone else, maybe they can help you or come alongside of you in that area. There are all er- we all have areas we need to work on and, prog- and progress and become more like Jesus. And that's what Paul is calling us to. That's why at the end of the, end of the letter, he'll say this, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, right? The idea is like, stop being a little kid, stop being a little boy, grow up. You need to act like men, right? That's his, that's his challenge that he's giving them. All right, so number two, the marks. Okay, well, so what are the marks of immaturity? Okay, so we've seen some of the, uh, what's kind of going on in their life, and that's kind of stuff. What's, what's the marks? Like, what do we know? What are the things we can identify and go like, okay, this is an area that shows that I'm not growing as fast as I should. And here's one. Uh, there's three of them we'll look at. Number one is apathy. Um, as I said earlier, part of the mess of immaturity of the Corinthians is that they either, they either didn't see how much they had slowed in becoming more like Jesus, or they just didn't care and that not caring part, right, that, that, part, that part about not caring is what Paul deals with here with this repeated phrase you see here, not ready, right? They're not ready, not ready, not ready. Look at verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now, you are not yet ready. So Paul, Paul says, look, they, they got milk when they first came to Jesus. He spent a, a year and a half with them. He fed them by discipling them teaching them, modeling Jesus for them, and that was an appropriate stage for them um, in their walk with Jesus. But now they, they should have progressed, you know, beyond the, the, the bottle, as it were. They should have gone to the solid foods now. They should have given the Gerby, Gerber bottles of peas and carrots or something, right? They should be moving, uh, moving on from that. But they don't seem to want the peas and carrots kind of thing, which may be actually a bad analogy as I think about it. Um, I don't want the peas and carrots either, but you get the point. They should want more than milk, but they don't, right? They don't seem to want more than that. And so you say, what's the solid food? The solid food here is not some ultra super spiritual, you know, secret to Christianity kind of thing. It's just a metaphor for desiring progress. As a Christian, the gospel is not, and you heard me say this many times, the gospel is not the front porch, like on the house of the Christian life, right? You get in, you're like, all right, now where's the real stuff? All right, I got in the door. It's like, no, the gospel is the whole house, right? It's, it's the whole thing. We don't move beyond the gospel. We continue to understand it, learn it, dig deeper into it. 
Um, we spend the rest of our lives doing that, applying it to our life. And so Paul's not advocating that we move beyond the gospel. On the contrary, that we press into it, that we should desire to, do, to know more and be more like Jesus. And some of the Corinthians are not really desiring to grow up. They just want to be spiritual Peter Pans, right? Uh, they just uh, stay boys. They, they are apathetic, and they're not really hungry for more. And, we, and we, we've seen this in chapter 1 in chapter 2. They, they've gotten full on the food of the world. Remember the whole wisdom thing that Paul talked a lot about there in the first couple chapters? They've gotten full on that. They've become easily satisfied with the kind of world's wisdom, the world's food, as Paul calls it. It's, they, they're more desirous, and you say, what is that? They're more desirous of man's approval. They're more desirous of their own social status, and they're more desirous of their bank accounts and the money that's in there than they are of Jesus and his word. That's a, that's a clear mark of immaturity. I'm, I'm more desirous of my accolades, my reputation, um, my social standing, my bank account than I am of Jesus and his word, right? That's, that's why they've started to slow. This is weighing them down. They've gotten satisfied and filled up with this, and there's no more energy or power or, or want to, uh, to follow or be closer to him. So these, have, these things have served as kind of synthetic substitutes for what they, they really need. They're basically eating spam, as it were, when a filet, you know, is offered to them. It's like, why, why are you eating the spam? That's, a, that's always a bad idea. But like, why are you eating the, why are you doing that? There's, there's a table, you hear Paul, right? There's a whole table here ready for it. The gospel, the, the steak of the gospel is there on the table. Like, cut into that. Like, get, get rid of the spam. C.S. Lewis, who I quote often, I know, but um, he, he said this, is a good quote. He said, we are, um, we're half-hearted, he calls us. We're half-hearted creatures. We're fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's that apathy. They're not growing because they're just, they've become so satisfied with, with worried about their social status. They've become so satisfied with making money they become so satisfied with the approval of man that they're, they don't have a lot of appetite left, as it were, for God, right? A lot of appetite left for Jesus and the gospel. Is that, is that you? Have you become so consumed with these things that you, you no longer have much of an appetite? You're, you become too easily pleased, is what he's saying there. So where's your heart today? Are you too easily pleased with the world's wisdom, the world's values? Have you filled up on the world so much that you have little appetite for Jesus and his word? This is one of the clear marks of immaturity in your life and a slowing of progress in following Jesus. Stop being so easily satisfied. Know that Jesus offers something better, right? He offers something so much better. Number two, another mark of immaturity is uh, jealousy. He says this down in verse three, that there is jealousy among you. You say, what is, what is jealousy? Jealousy is a, it's kind of, it's a deep passion. It, uh, it, it can be good or bad, depending on the object okay, that you're passionate about. Uh, it can be used as a desire for God uh, or a desire of God, even a desire for others uh, that can be for good, to look out for them. But in, in this case, Paul is using it in a way that speaks of an inordinate desire for something or someone, which is why Paul lists this jealousy as one of those um, works of the flesh in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. It's one of the same ones. The word was used in the ancient Greek for rivalry over an object. Right? Rivalry over an object. A jealous person is someone who wants what other people have. And often it leads to bitterness and sometimes erupts into violence. 
Jealousy is basically the, uh, the basic posture of ingratitude to God. Think about that. Maybe I've tied ingratitude to jealousy, but they actually go hand in hand. It's a failure to accept one's life, one's situation, one's possessions as a gift from God. Instead, I want what they have, right? I want, be it an object, be it a person, be it a situation or, or a circumstance that they're in, I want that. And so in, that, in, that, in essence, what we do is we're flinging the things that God has given to us into God's face, saying this is not good enough. I want something better than this. And so it's, a, it's an act of ingratitude. So now it's also very closely tie, uh, tied to an attitude of entitlement. Right? I, I, and what, what is that? I deserve better, or at, least, or at least what they have. I deserve what they have. I should have what they have. Right? That's that attitude of jealousy. It's an attitude of ingratitude. Um, it's an attitude of, of uh, entitlement. And this jealousy can be for something or someone. It can be outside the church, even inside the church. It can be anywhere. Right? You can be, you can be jealous of your, your neighbor's house. You can be jealous of your coworker's car. You can be jealous of someone who is married and you're not. You can be jealous of someone who is single and you're not. You can be jealous of someone who has kids and you don't, or you can be jealous of having kids and, and they don't. Right? I mean, it's just, it's just oh, it's a discontentment, an ingratitude of what God has given me in my, per, my state right now. Doesn't mean you don't desire progress. Doesn't mean you don't want to grow. Doesn't mean you, you don't work for something else. But it's, a, it's an attitude of ingratitude to God. Um, and so th- this, is, this is exactly the attitude you think about now of a baby, right? Over a toddler. This is exactly the attitude, this ingratitude. Um, how many uh, toddlers do you know are naturally inclined to want to share their toys and not want anything anyone else has? Right? I mean, it, it, you understand why he's using this, this analogy as a baby or a little toddler. Um, that's why Paul would say this jealousy or this ingratitude or entitlement is one of the marks it's even one of the marks of an unbeliever. It just shows that the life just hasn't changed for somebody. Paul would say in Romans 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, I mean, they, they knew facts about God, they knew information about God, they knew God existed, they didn't honor him as God or what? Give thanks. Isn't it interesting? Like the first mark, he's going like, let me show you what an unbeliever looks like. They just, they don't give thanks. They, 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 are, they are jealous for what everyone else has. They're not satisfied with what God has given to them. Instead, God calls us to this, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks, how often? It's okay, I'm going to say that again. Giving thanks, how often? Always. There's a memory verse for you right there, okay? Give thanks always, and for how much? Everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if that wasn't enough, First Thessalonians 5.18, giving, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you are like, ah, oh, man, I just want to discover the will of God. Like, what does God have? I don't know what God wants for me. And uh, I don't. there it is, right there. It's written. There it is. What is the will of God for you? Give thanks. <laughs> start there, and then you'll start discerning what the will of God is for the rest of your life, right? But you got to start there. You got to start by being being grateful for what God has given to you, and not jealous of what someone else has. That's a mark of growth, and a mark of immaturity is when you're just just jealous of what everyone else has. So where do you see jealousy, ingratitude, or entitlement in your life? How are you being like a toddler? Right? These are clear signs you're not progressing as you should in your walk with Jesus. Number three, and this is a, really the big theme here through the first four chapters, really, of First Corinthians, is disunity another mark of immaturity. It's disunity. He says in verse 3, he says there's jealousy, and then he says there's strife among you. He says, are you not of the flesh behaving in a very human way? All right, and when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Notice the eyes that are referenced here. Again, they're very, 
they're being very uh, toddler-like, you know, uh, one of the, a toddler's favorite words, mine, right? This is mine. And it, it's gone from jealousy and ingratitude, entitlement to this word strife is, actually carries the idea of uh, almost like verbal bouts and even possibly physical fighting that's breaking out in the church. I mean, the word strife was used for what happens on a battlefield. They had strife. That wasn't like a conversation on the battlefield, okay? They had strife on the battlefield, they're getting shot, right? They're, we had strife, you know, you know, Billy died. I mean, that was, that was bad. You know, this is, this is strife, okay? I don't know why I threw Billy in there. If your name's Billy, I didn't mean anything by that. But Billy came to my mind as somebody who would get shot in battle. Um, so, uh, <laughs> don't know why. Um, but it's getting crazy, right, in the church. I mean, he's starting to lay this out. Like, man, you're jealous of, of one another's gifts. You're jealous of someone, uh, each other's standing socially or, or, or maritally or whatever it is. Like, you're jealous of each other, and now you're starting to fight. You're starting to have strife. It's like a battle going on. It's a battlefield in the church. And so the, this is uh, where there's disunity, where there's bickering and complaining in the local church. There will also be a lot of immaturity, right? Those go hand in hand. A lot of babiness going on. And so Paul brings up these folks, I mean, we talked about them before, the kind of the jersey-wearing folks, you know, they got their Apollos jersey on, they got their Paul jersey on. Some of the really spiritual ones have their Jesus jersey on, you know. They're like, well, we follow Jesus and you don't. And so this one group here, he brings up two of them. This one group saw Paul as, he was kind of like the man. I mean, Paul, man, you are, you are the man. And they rallied kind of behind him, feeling that they were better than other people in the church because maybe, 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 we don't know for sure, but maybe these are people that came to faith under Paul's ministry. Maybe they're one of the first Christians in the church, right? And like, we love Paul's, I mean, we were here with Paul. You guys were here with Paul. I mean, Paul was awesome, right? Hey, we were here with this guy when he was a pastor. Oh, and then Paulus came on after them, and so the Apollos group's like, yeah, but, Paul, but Apollos came on, man. I, I got saved underneath Paul, I mean, underneath Apollos, and I came to Christ under his preaching. Man, he was so good. Like, he was eloquent, and he was right on. Man, Paul, he can't talk to save his life. Like, he, he was a bad preacher, right? And so, so they're arguing even over, like, who they came to faith under kind of thing. Both of these groupies are trying to find an identity in someone else, or at least in what that group or that person can bring them um, status-wise. They both want to be part of the in-crowd, whatever that is. And you don't have to take it as a church. They can be anything out in the world. They want to be at the top of the social ladder. They want, and they're jealous at times of others who seem to be ahead of them, and they seem to fight, or at least want to fight, to tear down to make sure that they're ahead. See this kind of competition going on? It's very immature. It's very babyish. So Paul says their, uh, their immaturity is, is tearing, is ripping the church apart. And it isn't just about them and their own walk with Jesus, but it's about the church do you understand that your immaturity is not just affecting you? Your immaturity is affecting everyone who's part of the body of Christ in that local church. And your immaturity, your lack of making progress, your lack of wanting to grow and desire Jesus is affecting the gospel going forward of that group. And so it has a communal effect to it. Um, we all have a part to play. And we'll look at this next week. Oh, yeah, we all have a part to play in encouraging, modeling, Spurring one another on towards being more like Jesus. And this makes one of the surest marks of immaturity, that of disunity, right? I, I need to get mine. I need to be important. Just as unity is one of the surest marks of divine transformation and growth in a local church, right? Because that attitude becomes, how can I serve you? Not how can you serve me? So how are you promoting unity? How are you promoting unity by encouraging others to follow Jesus more closely and recognizing uh, when they are growing, Right? Instead of judging one another's growth or lack thereof, we should be one who recognizes evidences of grace 
and let people know what we see and to see the growth in their life. We should be recognizing that. All right, lastly, number three, the medicine here for immaturity, the medicine. Paul doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just say we're big babies and we need to grow up. <laughs> he, uh, he gives us some, some ways that we can get back on track, ways that we can progress faster. And the first one here is, we'll call it, uh, first thing we need to do is we need to welcome. This is the idea that we need to embrace. We need to welcome our identity in Christ. We need to welcome who God, what, what our identity is in Christ. Welcome the role that Jesus has for us and have a right understanding of ourselves as we submit and follow Jesus. So look at verse 5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? What are they? They're just servants to whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. So our role, our identity, is just like Apollos, just like Paul's. What is it? We're servants. We're servants. The word servant refers to those who assist, usually in this context, performing tasks of an unskilled nature and, get this, tasks that are not very noticeable. Remember the church was all about being noticed, right? And he's saying, like, no, you want to mature. Why don't you start doing some things and serving in a way that actually take on the identity of a servant and do things that people don't see. Do things that maybe only Jesus sees. Now you're going to start seeing, okay, this is not about me anymore. I'm not doing this for applause anymore. I'm not doing this for recognition. I'm doing it so that, so that people grow. I'm doing it so more people come and know Jesus. We think of uh, you know, a servant of the Lord as a, maybe a good thing, and it is, but in the Greek culture, in this predominantly kind of uh, Gentile church that's here, um, the, the Greek audience, when they heard this whole servant idea, that wasn't something very appealing to them. It was someone on a very low social status. Remember I told you that Corinth was a booming city, right? It was growing. Lots of young people, lots of young professionals, and people are just, the industry's growing. It's kind of becoming a very big city, and it was all about who you knew. Right? How can I get to know so-and-so so that I can have a you know, better job or I can get up the social ladder and have more people, you know, more likes, whatever it may be. So for them to say, hey, guess what? You guys are servants. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty low. That's pretty low down. They look down on that status. And so Paul says, look at Apollos, myself, you. We're all just servants. We're all, we're all table waiters, basically. We're just waiting tables. We're, we're, we're not honored guests. We don't have a seat at the head of the table. We're not the owner of the house. We're not even making the food. We're just, we're just bringing it out. We're not, we're not here to be seen. It's not a, we're not the food. We're not the cook. We're not the owner. We're not the one playing the music in the, you know, at the restaurant. We're, we're just waiters. We're here not to be seen. Just hopefully we do a good job, and you don't even notice we're here because we did a good job. That's what he's saying. I mean, Paul would say this in chapter 4, verse 1. Look down in your Bible there. It says, this is how one should regard us. So how should, we be, how should we be seen? As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That, that word, and I've, I've told you this before, but it's such a unique word. The word literally in the Greek is the word under rower. Under rower. You're like, what is that? That seems weird. What is an under rower? It, to row underneath is what the word means. And it's, it's, it's used back then for the, the lowest galley of, of slaves, the ones who, who rowed the very bottom of the ship. When the ship would go across, there'd be three tiers of rowers. The guys on top, obviously, those are the most, you know, got the fresh air, they're up top. The ones at the very bottom, honestly, a lot of them didn't make it. They died rowing. They died down there in the bottom of the ship, rowing away at the thing. And Paul says, that's us. We're under rowers. We're, we're not up top. We don't, we don't get seen. You know, we're not here to be seen at all. We're down at the bottom of the ship. No one sees us. We may even die in the process, but we're just serving. We're just serving. It's not about us, right? Um, that's what's happening. So you can see Paul. I mean, Paul's like, Paul's saying, look, I'm just a servant here. So stop, take, take your jersey off. He's like, don't, don't have the Paul jersey on. Take it off. Don't make anything out of me, Paul's saying, right? 
Don't name any buildings after me. Don't build any churches with my name on it. Don't name cities in Minnesota after me, right? Don't, stop naming stuff after me. Like, I, I'm just a servant. I don't want to be known. If you're from St. Paul, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm just a servant, right? I, I just pull my oar. Uh, no one needs to see me. I'm at the bottom. I'm pulling my oar. Nothing worthy of special attention here. So what does this have to do with progressing in maturity? What has everything to do with it? We slow down in our progress towards Jesus and becoming like him when we become honestly just kind of full of ourselves and wanting the attention of everybody to see how well we're doing. We just get full of ourselves. We start to think that we have arrived. And this can happen in Christianity. And this is kind of what's happened here. They had a very quick progress, right? Things radically shifted. We saw that in chapter 6. They come from a pretty rough background. Right? And they're like, man, we're making progress. And you know what happens in that? When you become a Christian and you really start growing, it's very easy you become full of yourself. You're like, well, I'm pretty good. I'm, I mean, God's pretty, I mean, he did pretty well in choosing me. I'm, I'm glad he did that. It's good for him. Right? We start making this, we start taking credit for it. Like, man, I'm really, well, you're really not growing very much. But look at me, I really have. And all of a sudden, all the work that God has done, it starts getting, we start taking credit for that. And so this is, this is what happens. And Paul's like, let's not forget that, guys, we're just servants. And any growth that happens is all part of the grace of God. Have you forgotten that this is your role? You, we're, we're all servants. Does it, does it feel unnerving to welcome that kind of identity for you? In every thought, in every breath, in every effort, we're under the mastery of God. And our response, as I've told you before, it's yes, Lord, to whatever Jesus wants from us. If he wants us to dig ditches, again, we ask how deep. Right? If he wants us to climb mountains, we ask how high you want us to go. Right? If he wants us to run to Canada, we go how fast you want us to go. And then we ask, why do you want to go to Canada? Right? Um, but we still do it. Right? No offense again. If you're from, I'm making fun of Canada, all kinds of places. All right? St. Paul, Canada. Sorry about that. But, uh, but we do. Right? We grow. This is who we are. We're, we're, just, we're just serving the Lord. Look, look at later on in this book. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you're not your own anymore. Do you hear that? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body, right? You're not your own anymore. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he would say this in chapter 5, the love of Christ controls us, it pushes us, it motivates us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all, speaking of Jesus, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, speaking of Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised. God saved you so you no longer live for yourself. You've been changed. You now belong to him. We become stagnant in our walk with Jesus when we think, we think of ourselves as kind of maybe trophies on the shelf, as it were. God's gift to the world somehow. We have somehow arrived, and we're good now, and we're in a good spot. And yet, we need to welcome the identity. God, I'm just a servant. What can I do? What do you want me to do? What, what, what can I do in such a way that I don't get the applause, approval, or recognition from others? That, that's proof that there's transformation taking place, right? Because the whole world is like, what can I do in such a way that I can get people's attention? What can I do in such a way that I get more money? What can I do in such a way that more people will like me? And Paul's like, let's be third-level galley slaves at the bottom. Let's go serve, and let's row, and let's row until we die, and maybe no one will ever see us, but let's just pour it out because it's all about him. Do you see the radical transformation that's taking place there? This is a mark of, of, of maturity. This is how we're going to grow as we embrace this identity and stop going with the world's identity. It's trying to press us into its mold. Number two, worship. The second dose of medicine. We have an identity of a servant. We need to welcome that. We must take, uh, uh, we must take to get, get back healthy, back to progressing in our walk with Jesus, is worship. 
and, and I say this in probably every sermon, and probably First Corinthians will say it every time because Paul keeps bringing it up, that we have to recognize that this whole life of ours, our church, everything, it's all about who? Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about anybody else. It's about him. This is what he says, verse 6. I planted, Paulus watered, like we had our jobs, we did our stuff, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is, is really anything. <laughs> the word is nobody. We're just a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> but only God who gives the growth. So Paul goes now even further down the social ladder. Like he said, okay, we're servants. And now he goes down to, hey, I just want you guys to know, I'm just a, I'm just a humble farm worker. I'm just a humble farm worker, sort of manual labor, right? And, and, and again, this is the kind of the inner city Corinth, right? Elite kind of, they're really growing in, the, in this kind of more central hub of, and so they had moved beyond the kind of agricultural type thing for them. It was very urban center. So for them to go like, I got to be known as a farm worker? Like, I came in from the farm to come work in the city. Like, what are you talking about, right? I don't want to be, I mean, so I mean, I'm a servant and I'm a farm worker. Like, these identities were so countercultural to the people here in Corinth. And so that's what he says. Again, they lived in a very modern city in terms of they, they lived to, to achieve, to progress, to grow their portfolios, not grow plants. And so Paul says, basically, you know what? I'm just, I'm just a plowboy. And Apollos, well, he's basically Bobby Boucher here. He's just a water boy, right? He's just water. He's just watering the plants. You may know that, may not. Don't worry about it. In doing this, Paul, Paul directly undermines, right, deliberately undermines the cultural values that lie at the root of their stunted growth. They're not growing because they're, they're not embracing their identity. They're so concerned about their social status. And Paul's saying, look, we, we can't be full of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, he's like, look, I, 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 he was used of God implanted the church. He recognizes that. It's a very true thing. Yes. But yes, Apollos came along, he taught, and he taught them well. Yeah, he watered. But neither of them had anything to do with the birth and growth of the Corinthians. That was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. Just as nothing grows out of the ground apart from Jesus, so no one grows apart from Jesus. You can, you can plant seeds, you can water until kingdom come, but if Jesus doesn't germinate the seed and doesn't cause it to sprout, then nothing will happen. Growth is not automatic. Even the natural laws of growth, from an agricultural standpoint, are still in the hands of God. He has to do it. Now listen to Psalm 65, verse 9. You, speaking of God, you visit the earth and you water it. You, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You, you provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. It's like, well, there, a lot of people did a lot of work to bring that grain to place. But at the end of the day, it was all Jesus. It was all God doing it. And so when it comes to personal spiritual growth or to church spiritual growth or to church growth, period, it all is in the hands of of Jesus. So whatever growth is in your life that you do see, whatever progress you do make, don't get a big head and think of, think of it as something else. Give worth to Jesus, right? Give worship to him for bringing any sort of change. So if you identify now, you look and you go like, God, I, I really have grown. Think back to the time you first became a Christian to now, like, I mean, there's a lot of maturing that's happened. Praise God for that. Don't take credit for it, right? God did the work. Right? God did the work. You may have planted seeds, you watered, great, good job. You did, you, did your, you did your job. But it was God who brought the change. Number three, lastly, we have to work. We have to work. If we want to see progress, we've got to put, the, put in the work. So verse eight, he who plants, he who waters are one, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. So when Paul uh, says that the one who plants and the one who waters are one, he's saying, he's saying guys, we're, we're all on the same team here. 
<laughs> Why are there divisions happening here? We're, we're all part of the same team. We're on Team Jesus here. We're all together. And they're all part of the same family. We're all working the same field. We're all relying upon the, the same God to bring forth individual growth and corporate growth. And we all share the same identity of servants. And we, we all should be motivated as a result of that to work even harder and draw closer. Listen to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, not work for, very different, <laughs> work out, Remember we talked about that? There should be change coming out of being a Christian. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to willing to work for his good pleasure. You're like, well, who's doing it? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> right? You working? Yes. Is Jesus working? Yes. Who ultimately, though, gets the credit? Jesus does. And listen, as we, and this is how this works in the local church, and here's why this is so important that we get, we get working, right? We get moving. When you work together, realizing that we're all part of God's field, that we're all fellow workers, and we all take responsibility not only for our own walks with Jesus, but the responsibility of others. There is no time to be jealous. There's no time to argue. You know, a church's growth spiritually gets stunted when they start turning inward. And they start being, uh, they, don't, they stop getting on mission. They stop moving outwards. They stop serving the community. They stop getting the gospel out. And they start looking at each other. You know what happens? You've got too much time on your hands. You're fighting, complaining, arguing, picking things apart about each other. But if you stand shoulder to shoulder and you're moving forward, you're not staring at each other anymore, right? You're working together. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, you want to mature and grow up, stop staring at each other. Look out there in the world and see the loss and move towards that together, right? Support one another in that way. Grow together in that way. And you'll stop fighting, <laughs> And he'll stop. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be all kinds of unity because there's unity of vision, right? There's unity of purpose out there. there there's a world to be reached. And that's what he's talking about. We've got to pull together, right? We've we, we got something important that Jesus needs us to do. We, we, need to, we need to pull the weeds, yes. We need to plant the seeds, yes. We need to tell people about Jesus, yes. We've got to do that. We've got to get to work and stand shoulder to shoulder and move forward. You see, but, you know, Chris, how do I get moving? I mean, I, I feel like I'm stuck. I feel lethargic in my walk with Jesus. That whole apathy thing you mentioned earlier, like, that, that, that's totally me. And I would tell you, as I tell you every Sunday, but we got to go back and all this work that we need to do, while we have a lot of work to do, we got to also realize that that work is also finished. Okay? The work is also finished. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he, he meant that. He, he completed everything for you. He not only accomplished your salvation and forgave your sin when you put your faith in him, he also set you on a new path where he's already cleared the path by conquering our greatest enemies. And we've sung a little bit about this morning, right? Sin, death, hell, Satan. Like, where's your, where's your sting at? It's gone. You know, this is, that's all, by the way, that song is from 1 Corinthians 15. So, so God has already taken you on the path. Matter of fact, get the, here's, here's a profound thought of what it means to come, to come to Christ and what God has done. It is so profound. Salvation is so miraculous that it's like God already sees you as already finished the path. You've already walked it. You're already going back to Pilgrim's Progress, right? You're already in celestial city. You're like, what? Listen to this. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 2, sorry, verses 4 and 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, right? That's salvation. He made us alive. Praise God. He made us alive. By grace you have been saved. And what happened as a result? He raised us up with him. All right, so when Jesus resurrected, it was like I got resurrected. And past tense, by the way, word, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. You're like, hold on a second. You mean Jesus, when he ascended, went into heaven, that I went with him? Yeah, we're already seated there. You're like, what? 
how are we already seated there? How are we already in heaven? Because God sees us, the Father, so wrapped up in Jesus. He said it's finished. He really meant it was finished. (laughs) We're so wrapped up in him that when God looks at Christ, he sees us, that he is our identity. And so everything that he has accomplished through his death, resurrection, and ascension, we have gone along with him, right? We've gone along with him so that now we're currently in God's eyes, seated, as it were. We're already there. The race is already done, right? It's, it's already been won. It's already, victory's already been declared. Like, we're already there. And so in light of that reality, you see how that frees you to go, I, I can run harder now. I mean, the victory's been won. The race is finished. I'm, it's as if I'm already there already. Let, let's go. Let's move forward. That's grace. That's what grace does for you. That's how it motivates you to, to feel free to run hard. Now, some people will listen to that, and they'll be like, well, if the race is already done, then what good is it? Why don't just sit down and just do nothing then? What's the point? And that's why Paul would say in Romans 6, he would say, should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Like, if you understand grace, if you understand the race has been finished, it is all done and finished, and the reward is already there, and it's already done, that motivates me, and all, all the more so to go, I'm going hard after Jesus. And I'm going to love him, and I'm going to love others, and I'm going to make him known into my dying breath. I'm going to get on the bottom of that ship, and I'm going to row, and I'm going to row, and I don't care if anybody ever sees it. You see, that motivates you. Uh, Bunyan, oh, and with this, in, in Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote other books as well, if you knew that or not. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and maybe you didn't know this. He wrote it while he was in prison. And while he was in prison, he, he actually was, he was in prison, and he was, uh, it was right when his, his daughter, who had, who had some disabilities and was really, it, it, he talked about his biography, and then we've got some in the bookstore. He talked about his biography, it was like flesh being ripped off his bones. Like he, he couldn't be with his daughter. He couldn't be with his little daughter he wanted to be with, and he was stuck in prison for like 10 to 12 years. Because why? Because he preached the gospel, because he loved Jesus, and that's why he put him there. And while he was in prison, he, he wrote letters back to his church. He was a pastor, and he would write letters back to him, right? And he would write letters back to them talking about this grace of God, talking about the fact that it's finished, and to encourage them to move forward. And these letters got circulated around, and some of the religious leaders of the day uh, were urging him to stop, right? Don't stop telling Christians that, you know, of God's un- unswerving love. Stop telling them about that it's all finished, that the grace of God has done everything. Like, you stop telling them that. And they said, quote, if you keep assuring the people of, people of God's love and grace, they will do whatever they want to. You've got to stop doing that. <laughs> I love Bunyan. Here's Bunyan's reply. He says, if I assure people, uh, if I assure God's people of his love and grace completely, then they'll do whatever he wants. They'll do whatever he wants. So see, that, that's the centrality of the gospel. That's the importance of grace. When you understand he's, he's accomplished it, it's finished, you're already seated there, that motivates you to go, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. He wants me to bomb of that ship, rolling those oars, I got it. Put me on it. It's not about me. It's not about my, my getting attention for it or any of that. It's about Jesus. So as we, we go to communion, if you're a Christian today, we, we have bread, we have juice, we have offering boxes, things we give as a response to worship. Okay, we take bread, we take juice to remember him. So this is our opportunity to take some quiet time as Christians to reflect on the reality of God. Think about this whole, era, this whole topic of immaturity. Identify. Bring it before God and say, God, where, where am I slow? Where have I slowed down? Where am I being childish in my walk with Jesus? Where, where am I being self-centered and self-focused here? How, how God, do I, can I mature more? Right? How can I grow faster? What, what can I do? And so take that moment of quiet to kind of ask God that. All right, this is your opportunity to do that.
And as you reflect on that and you offer those things to God and you confess sin, you repent, all that stuff is great. Do all that. And when you're ready, you may go to the tables, take communion to remember that it's finished. To remember that you're already seated, right? And then make that motivate you to run harder after Jesus. If you're not a Christian, communion's not for you. Right? Nor is offering. We don't want any money from you. It's not what this is about. These are acts of worship as members of our church or people of, of God. Uh, but if you have questions or if you want somebody to pray for you, we'll have people in front as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Um, God, we have to admit that we all have areas where we're immature. We all have areas that, that we need to grow up. And um, God, I pray to you just identify those for each of us. Identify us, identify it individually, but God, just identify that corporately too. How, how can we grow up? How can we be um, standing more shoulder to shoulder, moving forward uh, with, the, with the goal of, of fulfilling that great commission in our world, in our life here? How can we do that, God? Give us direction, give us wisdom, um, bring unity of, uh, of the gospel to us so that, God, we can, we can see more people come and know you, see growth happen, maturity happen, see lives change, see families change, homes change, communities change, neighborhoods change, works, work and job change, all this stuff begin to, to radically transform because of our love uh, for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.